0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to Somewhere in the Middle with Michelle Berard. I'm your host, Michelle Berard, founder and CEO of Urban Book Editor, and I am really happy to share this hour with you where we examine all those places where spirit meets life and the joys and challenges that may bring. You guys know I like to start by thanking Ms. Beverly Black and Tribe Family Channel for helping me create this space for us. Tribe Family Channel is home to an assortment of thought provoking shows that explore life, spirit, business, and culture, including. The woman at the well which is hosted by miss beverly black herself somewhere in the middle was born on tribe family channel and though we have grown onto our own platform we are ever grateful and loyal to our roots to paraphrase an african proverb we are here only because we stand on the shoulders of those who came before us i want to say thank you to my guest on the march 26 show michael kenneth bell you can connect with michael on social media and at his website com. That's P-I-L-L-A-R, bookpublishing.com. If you miss that show, make sure you listen to the replay. You can find our complete show archives, including the March 26th show, at the thesomewhereinthemiddlepodcast.com. I also want to shout out Bruce George of the Geniuses Common Movement, which encourages all of us to embrace our inner genius and share it with the world. This is a really important message, and I hope you'll share it with the youth. But it's not just for the kids. I mean, we adults sometimes need to be reminded that the world needs our genius. Learn more about the Genius is Common movement at www.geniusiscommon.com. Now, I had a really lively conversation with this month's guest, and I think you'll enjoy it as much as I did. Keisha L. Williams loves the arts, music, people, and self-expression. She moved from Newark, New Jersey to Atlanta, Georgia to start the next chapter of her life. She enjoys discussing love, relationships, and raw feelings. Her book, Loving with Emotions, You Must Feel Everything, is who she is and represents what she has experienced as a child, an adolescent, and as she's coming into adulthood. Keisha has been writing since she was seven years old and has been told she had a wise soul beyond her years since the age of eight. Keisha was given the opportunity to write children's books as a child, but this option was held back from her without her knowledge. Later, she was told it was because she needed to enjoy her childhood. Keisha wants to share her voice with others so they can know spoken word is for healing and that it is okay to release the past and speak out. Keisha wants to give people the opportunity to live out loud, live in their truth, and not be ashamed of who they are, because strength is the key to excellence. So I would like to welcome Keisha L. Williams to Somewhere in the Middle with Michelle Burard. Keisha, thank you for being on the show. Thank you for having me. Well, I don't know if you have heard, but I like to ask two questions to start off my interviews. Are you ready? I am. Okay, so Keisha L. Williams, who are you and how did you become who you are today?
1: Well, I will say I'm a lover, I'm a fighter, I'm a giver and a confidant. When I say that, I do my best to keep secrets. If I have to, I usually do. And also just having to be strong growing up in a time where things weren't always great. So I guess I'll say that. I'm just a driven person. And how did you get to be that way? Oh uh, well, my mother she worked very hard, and you know we grew up in a home when a lot of other people were less fortunate. So I just seen them work a lot and trying to strive for excellence. And they always told us to you know be better than them. You know don't be like them. So with those things being said. We had some ups and downs, and I always told myself that I, you know, wanted to be a star. I wanted to sing, but obviously, I didn't get to do that. But uh, I figured creativity and art, you know, being artsy, will come out some kind of way. So I still, I chose to write, basically.
0: And you said you wanted to be a star. You wanted to be a singer. I did. When I was and- in
1: school, uh, we basically had chorus, and uh, I used to do a lot of writing then. And uh, I was a soprano, I played instruments. I was very uh, eclectic. (laughs) Wow.
0: And what did you play?
1: Uh, Well, I started out with the violin and I branched off into the flute and that basically was uh, my fluent instrument for years up until about high school.
0: Wow, okay, that's really cool. Violin is not something that you hear about a lot of uh, urban kids getting to play. How'd you get into violin? Well, I really like, I had
1: an ear for classical music. Like, uh, you know, when we were kids watching the Nutcracker and Mm -hmm. hearing about Beethoven and I was, I'm very, I like to be informed. Let me say that. I'm like, I would like to be informative and I like to be informed. So when I would hear things, I would like, I I love to read. So I would want to find out who the artist is, what they like to do. How did it come about? So I just had a, a knack for these things. Plus my father used to DJ. So we used to listen to a lot of different music, rock, a little bit of rock, not nothing heavy metal, uh, dance hall music, a lot of R and B. And then if you, if you get into music, you can hear all these di- different rhythms and sounds and just put it together. And then that came with the writing and wanting to sing and just putting a, you know, a melody to, to the words and moving forward.
0: So would you say that music informs your writing? It definitely
1: does. It helps me channel my energy and um and it helps me express my emotions basically. And then I'm actually more of an imp, so I can write from other people's pain or what they're feeling at the time. And it just makes me it I mean, um let me see, because I wanna find the right words for you. I, it helps me develop the emotional side of things that I, I didn't really get to channel when I was a child.
0: Can you elaborate on that? What do you mean by, you know, expressing those emotions that you didn't get to channel when you were a child?
1: Well, I was more closed in. I really didn't talk much and writing helped me express how I was truly feeling because I didn't really know how to communicate what those feelings were a long time ago because we were raised to keep, you know, information in the house. You don't tell Mm -hmm. people what's going on at home. You you know it's only privy to those that need to know basis. So with that right. being said, it was just like you know being locked in that stern uh, upbringing. So my basically music and writing helped me channel my energy.
0: Yeah, that's that. Uh, what happens in my house, stay in my house. Definitely. Yeah. Vegas thought they had that first. Most black households had that. <laughs> <laughs> definitely did. Um, I think that's interesting that you say that the the music informs informs your writing that it kind of helps you express your emotion. How does that uh, factor in with when you're creating your characters? When you what kinds of talk, talk to us about your book and about how that informed this particular book? Okay,
1: so loving with emotions, you must feel everything was basically put together by love, relationships, friendships, family. And like I expressed to you in the beginning of being, you know, with that tight-knit family, enclosed, the sternness, not being able to really communicate how I was feeling because of my upbringing. Then it was uh, coming into adolescent years and knowing that I'm having emotions. I know I like somebody. I'm trying to channel that energy or the language to not push them away, but, you know, helping them understand that I'm just, I'm not shut down. I'm just standoffish. So, you might not know or hear how I feel about you, but you'll see it. Because, you know, everybody has a different way of showing that they care.
0: Right, right. Your love language is
1: different. Very. I'm one of those people, I am action wise, I've grown more in the show, being more affectionate. But um, before it wasn't like that. So I'll write down how I feel on a piece of paper and hope that you can get the message because everybody's not susceptible to other people's backgrounds. Mm -hmm. So they will think that you're just hard. You're just aggressive. You don't know what you want. And reality, I'm actually probably the sweetest person you'll ever get to know if you take out the time to want to know me.
0: Okay, but to be fair... This is my Southerner talking, right? You are from the (laughs) Northeast. And I I say this about folks from the New York, tri-state area, New York, New Jersey, all that. I said, New Yorkers are some of the nicest people, but you would never know it when you first meet them.
1: Well, that's because when we, um, from the culture of North, Northeast, basically, we speak when spoken to. You know, and it's not really where we don't, we don't like you. We don't know you not to like you. It's just that when we see you, we just used to speaking to people that we know. If right. I grew up around you or you're the neighbor and your family and we're in the area, we'll talk to you. Uh, that's my synopsis of it. I'm going to talk to you if I, I've been around you, you know, my family, we just had some type of interaction. Otherwise right. it's just like, unless it's work related or it's customer service. We don't have any, you know, dealings with each other. So I'm not really going to have any, you know, anything to say.
0: I just think that's so funny because, you know, coming from down South, I grew up where we speak to everybody. Yes, Everybody, you know, I'm from South Louisiana in particular, so we talk a lot down there. We'll talk to any. My kids hate going to the grocery store with me. (laughs) They say, (laughs) "Talk to everybody." What should be 15 minutes in the store takes 30, 40 minutes because I stop and talk to people. But I'm like, that's how I grew up. You know, you speak to people, you say, "What's up?" You know, you you smile and all that. New York. I remember going up there a couple of times, and I was like, (laughs) "Oh, yeah, it's different." (laughs) That's a different
1: culture shock if you're not used to it, most definitely.
0: But very nice. Very nice. That's so that you don't surprise me in saying that, that you're like a very nice person to know, but it takes a little while. So what would make that different? You know what? There's part of it that's culture, right? Growing up in the Northeast, but then what made it a little bit, maybe more challenging to open up and let people get to know you? I mean, do you mind digging into that a little bit? No, it's perfectly fine. The, the thing about that is
1: people can be very manipulative. So you don't know, of course, somebody's intent when you meet them. But you could be, you could be too open with a person and they may try to use it against you. So with that being said, there's it's the whole boundaries and the balance when you meet somebody, you can't tell them too much. Don't give them too much information, but don't give them too little. You Mm -hmm. know, it's basically like, I'll give you my hand, but I don't want to have to snatch it away from you because I feel like you're going to deceive me. So that's the thing about growing up in different cultures because sometimes people just have a jaded view about what they see, what they know. You know, people tend to stereotype you. Because when I moved here uh, almost seven years ago, everybody was like, you're mean. I'm like, I'm just straight. (laughs) I'm just straightforward. Like, I'm like, I I don't know you to be mean to you. Like I'll say hello, you know, like, how you doing? I'll introduce myself. And then we're in an in-depth conversation. I'm very passionate about what I believe in or what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. So if you can't understand that, then as we know, you don't know me yet, but people has passed judgment on me just because the way that I speak and I'm like, okay, well, I can't do anything about that. This is how I talk. I've spoken like this my whole life. So maybe our interaction just is not hitting home for you. Maybe we just not meshing well. I don't, I can't really tell you. I can only be myself and you're supposed to accept people for who they are. And that's how I am. Like, I'm like, okay, well, maybe if I said something a certain kind of way, I will, you know, apologize, but I'm not going to keep apologizing for being who I am. Right, maybe we right. just can't hold a conversation with each other and we're not on the same level.
0: Well, and you know, it is there's something really valid about that. Um, I worked for a company a while back where there was a lady who's she was, I don't remember if she was from New York or New Jersey. Really nice. I thought she was really nice, but people did not like the way that she talked. And I was like, She's just talking like somebody from the Northeast. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I'm like she's not being mean y'all I'll, you know that's what I'm thinking I'm like I don't understand yes she's very direct but I also started my career in D.C. which isn't okay. quite as as sharp as, as New York can sound or New Jersey can sound but it's still kind of that corridor where everybody's back and forth that way and they're just more direct but down south you know you, everything gotta be couched with oh baby <laughs> sweetheart Yes, love. You know, I found that even coming back here after living in uh, D.C. for so long, in the D.C. metro area for so long, I had to learn how to soften things.
1: (laughs) And it it does that to you. And, you know, basically for me growing, being up there my whole life and then coming down to the south, because I had been down towards like North Carolina before. I had been to Georgia before when I was about, I was young though. I was about eight. And the Mm -hmm. last time I had been in North Carolina, I was 14. So Mm -hmm. for me, it was like, I like the South. I said, it seems cool. It seems nice. But you know what? As we all know, looks can be deceiving because everybody's not from the South that's here in Georgia at the moment. You know, it's like, it's a a big old melting pot. And I learned Mm -hmm. that when I came here. So it's like, you have to stay on your toes at all times because there's different type of classes. There's different kinds of cultures. Mm -hmm. It's, It's all about having an open mind concept. Right. And, and that's why when we were talking, you know, when you touched bases on how does my book relate to things, it's like we all have situations we have been through. And even with love relationships, family, friends, things can be coinciding and you're just not paying attention to it because either you're too hurt from it, you're angry, or you just thrown all over the place and you don't know which way to go.
0: Right. Well, what relationship would you say that you had the hardest time navigating?
1: I guess I'll say I have a hard time with my siblings. Really? And I ha- yeah, a little bit, because um, I'm just headstrong. And,
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> and when I say headstrong, it's basically, it's not what I say goals. It's just like if I see things in a certain kind of way or a certain kind of light, then that's the direction that I'm going in, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and it's not that I'm trying to leave anybody behind, but I can't hold your hand through life. We all have our own journey that we have to, you know, basically go towards. And I left them and moved forward in my life. And it wasn't that I was leaving them. I just wanted to find out who I was, you know, like you just being in Jersey, was one of those things like, okay, I know who I am in Jersey. This is my development, but I want more. I want to go see some things. I don't want to just be limited to the tri-state area. I mean, I travel, I've had, you know, plenty of jobs where I went Mm -hmm. from city to city, state to state, things like that. But, you know, culture is culture. You know, I came down here and I learned things about Southern people that I wasn't really fully aware of because like we said before, stigmas and stereotypes, people say things about people, but you can't Learn people if you're not around those type of individuals. So being that goes with me saying about music and wanting to be a singer and being eclectic to be able to do different things. And I love the fact of having a difference because when you shut your mind off to that one situation or one thing or one route, that's just, you know, it's okay to have tunnel vision, but that can stop you from elevating just as well.
0: Yeah. So, how many siblings do you have?
1: Uh, <laughs> I'm not saying that like I have extended family too, but immediate family. I have two older sisters. I'm the middle child, and then I have two younger brothers. Okay, wow, that's a good sized family. We have a good sized family. We actually do. Um, the main ones, uh, we we talk all we all talk at different times. Like I'm more of the big little sister. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to my older siblings. And then, um, but when we all get together, you know, we do the best to have a good time. and But we all know when it's time to part ways just as well.
0: So what makes sibling relationships sometimes challenging? I think it's the whole
1: communication part. And when I say communication, because I think because you have the oldest sibling and then you got the older sibling to the youngest everybody wants to be in charge because <laughs> once you once you become an adult it's like you can't tell me what to do and it's like I'm not trying to tell you what to do I'm basically trying to suggest another remedy mm-hmm. for your situation mm-hmm. and you may think I'm either talking down to you I'm upset with you I'm criticizing you no is the word called critiquing. And I even had to learn to critique myself because me being headstrong, I wanna do everything this way, but not realizing at one point there's more than one way, you know, it's multiple ways to handle right. a situation. So I'll say that part is uh, something we all have an issue with as far as like in my, in, in my family, the oldest want to tell the youngest what to do and the youngest want to tell the oldest what to do. So it's just about the whole comprehending situation. Because you know, people listen to people. Don't hear to the listen; they hear to the reply, and that's yes. the worst thing. And I've learned that too to condition myself because that comes with, like I said, comprehending. Because you can you you can hear somebody all day, but if you're not listening, you're, you're not going to get it. Yeah.
0: Well, one of the things that I observe because all of my kids are big kids now, the okay. youngest is eighteen, and. What I observe when they are all at home is that there's a tendency to fall back into their patterns, how they were when they were little, when they were young, and I think it's fast. It's fascinating for me to watch, right? So I will see when they're on their own with me. You know, like my youngest was with me in California. We moved back here. Um, Our relationship dynamic was different because it's the relationship with an older teenager, almost, you know, someone who's going into college. And similarly with my middle child, when uh, my youngest went off to college, her school campus closed because of the COVID. So she was home with me. And it was very interesting to have almost a roommate type relationship with my middle child, right? The oldest is living on her own in in Chicago. But then when all three of them were here for the holiday, I was like, whoa, all of that interesting um, adult relationship stuff that was happening seemed to revert a little bit over the holidays where everybody went back into their traditional roles where they were in the family as kids. Do you find that you guys struggle with that a little bit when y'all get together?
1: Maybe a little bit it's not really consistent that we all get together because obviously we all live in our own lives. I'm mm-hmm. here, they're there. Um, but I will say, uh, the, the old, the two oldest, they do, they chime in <laughs> and, 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 and it's like, you know, Oh boy, here we go. But I know it's done out of love. Cause it's like mm-hmm. sometimes like even with me and my, uh, my oldest sister, cause it, and then most of us like me, me, Janique, and Ramon, we all Tauruses. And okay. Yakima, she's a Virgo. So she's a little more sensitive than everybody else, you know? So it's like, you know, you got to be careful with her feelings. And <laughs> and I love her, the pieces, I swear. I'd be like, you just relax, you know? You just got to... <laughs> It's, I'm not trying to hurt your feelings. You're being mean, and I'm like, look, look, it's not. I'm being mean. You know, I speak directly to you. I'm not going sugarcoat it. We, like we family at the end of the day. I'm not. I'm not. Would you rather hear it from me than a stranger? That's basically where I come from. Right. I'm talking to anybody, I'd rather be real with you than you go out and your head's in the clouds and you're trying to figure things out on your own.
0: That's right. That's why right. I say I've
1: been more of the big little sister at the end of the day.
0: That is funny, that's really funny. So in terms of when you were writing your book, was there any one relationship that you were kind of focusing on that inspired you? Mm, Well, my
1: relationship with my mother is basically more so what inspired me. Cause like, you know, like I said, we grew up in a house and she was there for us. She was always working, but she made time no matter what. Like she definitely, went out her way to make sure we were happy no matter what was going on. And even at times when she, you know, she wasn't on top of the top and going through, you know, her own personal things, she still made sure we were well. So losing her July 24th, 2019 was just just hard. You know, like when they tell you a mother's love is something you'll never get back and you know you you gotta love your parents while they're here. It was very rough. Like because I'm like, you know, I'm I'm getting all these uh bittersweet moments now in my life where it's like you know I wanna call her you know I want mm-hmm. to I need her to be here you know like I, I just want to tell her like mom, you know you see this like you wanna come to the house you know and I'm excited and then it's like, and it, it's met with tears because I'm like, you know, I, I, I dedicated my book to my mother after she, you know, had passed on. And, um, you know, then fruition came with things that I feel like I just manifested besides God looking out, you know, and putting, putting a hand in other things because I don't push God on anybody, but I was raised in church. So I don't claim to be all holy or thou, but I always felt there's always a divine presence that that's helping us along the way. It's not just you.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: So that's, that's the way I look at things. And I feel like, you know, I feel her presence cause I know she's still a part of me, but I just, you know, I, I wish the physical, you know, was still active.
0: Yeah. I lost my mom many years ago. And I often say that. I don't know if, if you ever completely get over losing your mom, especially if, if you had a good relationship, if she was really caring and stuff. I don't, I just don't know that you ever 100% get over it.
1: Nah, yeah. I mean, you just, you learn how to manage. Yeah. That's the only
0: thing I can say, you know, and,
1: and we as people are, are or can be selfish and is, is not done with the intent to be, but you have to also learn how to, and that and a big thing about letting go, because if you hold on for something too long, mm-hmm you can explode or you can't, it will combust.
0: Yeah. 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 I agree. It's, it's interesting though, because there's certain relationships that, um, really, I think leave an imprint on you in a way that others don't, you know what I mean? Yes. So it's just, it's just a very different kind of relationship. So what about your other, let's, let's talk love relationships now. (laughs) Okay.
1: Love relationships. Now I have been privy to maybe four real relationships and in those relationships, I definitely seen a pattern that either I created because I have a type. I would not say I don't have a type, but I also know that I like what I like. So with that being said, I can be very giving, but I also can do, I i, I can be too outgoing. And when I say too outgoing, uh, I can give and not get back. So with that being said, it's like, you know how you want to go over above and beyond for people, and it won't cross the puddle for you. I'm, I I I have been that person.
0: Oh wow! And but how does when, that? Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I was gonna say, and how does that how does that play into what you're talking about in the book?
1: uh it's, it's basically experiences of those those admission. I, I'm not gonna say admission of guilt but a mission of distress. And I say a distress because I put myself in positions to, to love and understand love, but going above and beyond for love can also deplete you as a person because you're giving so much and they're just taking, but they're not putting anything back into you. And that's just like a child. When you're I don't have children, but I have nieces and nephews. When you're raising a child, in a sense, you're instilling something in them so they can get something out of life so they can walk a path and Mm -hmm. hopefully follow the rules as far as you know, understanding right from wrong. You have some people out here that know right from wrong, excuse me, right from wrong, but they will still do what they want to do anyway and compromise, not just you, but themselves. But it doesn't matter because as long as they're getting what they want, everything's going their way. They don't care. Right. So I had to learn that the hard way and, and forgive myself for having less than our deserved relationships. Because I can honestly say, even though I thought I knew my worth back then, I did not.
0: Why, why would you feel the need to forgive yourself?
1: Well, you know, you, you, I, what I've learned in the process of what, I'm, I'll be 36. And when I started dating or having a boyfriend at a very young age, around 14, 15, and thought I knew what I was doing. And obviously <laughs> I did not. <laughs> <laughs> but um just uh it's just development. Cause you you know what you see. So going off with of what I seen with my parents, I thought that, you know, it was just, you know, the kisses and the hugs and the you know, the ups and the downs, and it's going to happen. And I'm just going to keep, you know, doing what I'm doing. And hopefully that's going to make things better. And ultimately, sometimes that made situations worse. Because I'm giving, I'm buying, uh, I'm writing, you know, poems telling you how I feel, but you're still doing the whole opposite of what what I need you to do for me. But I'm still pouring myself into you. So that's when I go back to when I said not knowing my worth because now I'm doing way too much and and it's not guaranteed but they say you only know love when you experience it. So I figured whether it was good bad or indifferent, I still got to understand the right and the wrong way to love somebody.
0: Mm, okay. And so is there a right way? Is there a wrong way? Or are there just different ways when it comes to- There's just people? different ways.
1: I think there's just different ways. And I say that because it, it comes It comes down to the understanding of mm-hmm. what do we both need in a relationship for us to thrive? And if we see this moving forward, to move on to a marriage. Because nowadays, what you see on reality TV have evolved into people going in so many different directions. I am not here to judge anybody. Love who you want to love. That's cool. (laughs) But you know, that brings up other that stems other things where you don't know is your partner being faithful or they being, you know, openly direct with you. Mm -hmm. So it just comes down to communication, I say.
0: Well, and maybe reality TV isn't a good model for us, right? Like, me. well, definitely <laughs> maybe not. We need to... I mean, I don't, <laughs> I
1: don't, I don't, I don't, I uh, don't, I don't condone it, you know. But you know, do what you need to.
0: Hey, man, I'm all about you getting your check, you know. I, I, but I just, I worry sometimes that some of the things that we see on TV we um, are too influenced by. That's why, you know, I, I don't, I personally don't watch reality TV. I, that's terrible, isn't it? To say it, to just admit, I don't, I don't personally watch it, but it, what I, the last reality TV show I watched was so long ago, and it was just so ridiculous that it was just fun to watch it was a, do you remember Flavor of Love? A flavor of Flav. <laughs> and that's the last one that I watched. And it was just so ridiculous and over the top that it, I felt like it was not at all what anybody could take as anything serious as a model for relationships, right? Or for, but the, the more that they do these kinds of shows, the more I wonder if we are getting sucked into this concept of like, there has to be high drama and there has to be, you know what I mean? Like there has to be um, just constant high emotion. Is there any value in a relationship that doesn't have those things Is maybe quieter?
1: It's, it's everybody living things out loud now. So there's no, I'm not going to say secretism, but it's, it's just no private time with your mate. You know, everything is in front of the camera. But a lot of people have to understand when it comes to reality TV too, it's scripted. I mean, you may have some people out here living those lies or living those life. You know, I don't know, but is that really what you want? Because I had a conversation with a guy the other day and he was saying how, You know, he wanted to get married or have a relationship, but okay, Dr. Dre and his wife are obviously going through some, you know, divorcing and marital issues as far as spousal support. And he's like, well, if I'm building my empire and I had this before I was with you, then I don't really see us having a marriage because what's mine is mine. But I remember before being in a relationship, it was, you know, do unto others as you want done unto you. Mm -hmm. No matter the relationship. So what happened to that concept now it's just, you know, finances and somebody looking for a come up, but every Mm -hmm. woman is not out here looking for a come up. And it's like, okay, so you got your independent women that actually work hard and have their own. And it's like, you want me to sacrifice just to be in a relationship with you because you have insecurities about your situation. Right. And I'm not saying he's an insecure man. You no, just so, you're insecure about the happenings that you're not willing to see the outcome all the way through.
0: Right. Well, and then there's another piece of this, particularly when you get married and have kids. Often the wife in the relationship ends up giving up more of her time, energy, effort, career, possibilities, and so forth, so that the man can go forward True. in his career. And that time is worth something. You know what I mean? I think I think people sometimes think about that in a, a like, oh, well, you're just sitting at home eating bonbons or, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, Taking care of a family and rearing kids that are at all emotionally balanced, um, don't get themselves into significant trouble, things of that nature, that is a that's a full-time job in and of itself. I and I remember working full-time job, starting a business and rearing three kids. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I defy you to find a man who can and will do the same thing at the same levels. It's only women that I see doing that. So I think it's really interesting when there's kind of this attitude like, well, what's mine is mine. No, I made it possible for you,
1: for you to get
0: that in a lot of, in a lot of cases, you know what I mean? Not every case, but in a lot of cases that spouse that stays home, whether it's the male or the female, makes it possible for the other one to do those other things. And that is what I think part of that's about as well. Cause it's a team effort.
1: I can attest, but I just, I mean, you know, I don't, like I said, I don't have children, but I've seen things. So it's like women do sacrifice a lot and men feel like, well, we sacrifice too. We go out and we make the money and I take care of you or, you know, so on mm-hmm. and so forth. That's not always the case, but right. you know, dare to be different. Because if the shoe was on the other foot and you was a housewife, I don't, I don't think you could appreciate that. And we see movies like that sometimes where it's scripted and it's drawn out that way, but it's just to give you a different view of the scope. And people f- forget that sometimes the shoe can be on the other foot. Like, I love you. I really do. But when I'm in a position to move, I have to move and I need you to be with me. Right. We're supposed to do this as a team. And I think people really forget because I think I wrote something like this. I don't know if i put it in this book or it's going to be in the next book. But it was basically about being in competition with your mate. Your mate's not supposed to be your competition. Right. Y'all supposed to rise together. And where you, where you, where where I lack, you pick up and vice versa. Now it's just all about, well, I'll do this and I'm the breadwinner and I do that. And it's like, oh, I got to do what you say. But no, that's not what I signed up for. I thought we signed up to get to know each other figure out what direction we were going in. If it meets, you know, we meet mm-hmm. each other's requirements, and we build from there. And I, people forget about the whole foundation part.
0: Right. Yeah. I I believe that it's supposed to be like us against the world, not the other way around, not us against, against each other. You against me. Mm-hmm. Right. Because that, how do you, a house divided cannot stand. Not at all. And that's kind of what we're seeing in the country right now. We're a house divided. <laughs> That is agreed. We'll see how long it stands. <laughs> so speaking of relationships, the house divided, The your relationship book is kind of micro, right? It's dealing with individual relationships. But do some of those principles play out in large groups as well? Like, you know, we're experiencing right now, we had, a pandemic that exacerbated all existing divisions in our society, Um, tons of protests and all that started up and it just was like a, a festering wound that came to the surface that nobody, you know, everybody had been ignoring. How does that relate? I mean, I would think some of those things that you're talking about in your book relate to those kinds of concepts that we're dealing with at the macro level, you know? Yeah. And I can agree because even with the pandemic,
1: that which has brought people, when it's supposed to brought people closer, push people further away, because that showed people either marrying or being in relationships for the wrong reasons. Mm. They said the divorce rate went up, Mm
0: -hmm. Uh,
1: people's uh, domestic violence went up. You have um, also what, people trying to get away from their kids. And it's like, you can't run away from your responsibility. This is what you signed up for. And that means you haven't put the love, attention, and care into your household because you don't have work-life balance. Mm -hmm. Or you haven't balanced yourself out enough to develop time for family, time for your spouse, time for yourself, which everybody does need self-care. I had to learn about self-care because working all these jobs... All I know is eat, sleep, shower, work, get off work, go to the next job, get off. The next job might be running straight to the next job. I may have some Mm downtime, but if I, it's all about giving you what you need so you can flourish just like flowers, flowers need water and food to grow plants in general. So just like us, when they want us to keep this mask on and it's like, you know, that mask has been going on for years in people's household. They just didn't get to see it till now. Right.
0: Yeah, I think there was just so much that was kept hidden from ourselves in this country. Um, And I imagine in countries around the world, they're experiencing their own versions of that to some extent.
1: Almost definitely. Like I write, Quotes and memes, and post them on social media. And sometimes I I got a response. I had I had posted. Uh, sometimes people want the same things, but they don't want them with you. Mm. And I got a I got I think maybe over four thousand likes because I sponsored it, and it made sense to me because like I said before, people can be in relationships or get married. For the wrong reasons or just like you know other cultures they have arranged marriages and a lot of my um people a lot of the people that were responding was like middle east so oh, oh, wow. they were saying like oh well this is me and my wife situation but you know i'm not a guru i, I haven't went to school for this so i can't tell anybody you know i could say i'm sorry that you're going through something and maybe suggest some things But arranged marriages, I had heard about those when I was about 24. I had been working at the airport, and it was a a Middle Eastern man. I think, I don't remember if he was Indian or not. And he had an arranged marriage with a young lady. And he was telling us that, you know, sometimes they don't get along, but they Mm -hmm. have to go through with the marriage because that's culture. Since they were kids and they grew up, that was arranged for them to become husband and wife. And I was just thinking to myself, I don't know if I could have done that.
0: Mm, Yeah. (laughs)
1: You know, and it's like, you know, but that's culture. That's what they do. That's their upbringing. And I'm like, okay, we're well, growing up in the United States. We have, you know, unless, you know, depending on your culture, you can choose who you want to be with, but that still doesn't mean they're choosing you. You may have conflicting things that, you know, you have your flaws. I'll say flaws. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say conflicting because mm-hmm. that might not be the right terminology, but you have, everybody has their flaws, but it's always something about you that somebody else may get that the other person doesn't. Right. But with that being said, it's just drawing the line. I just think people got in the way of boundaries, gotten away from what's really love and turned them into lustful infatuation. That's just my opinion though.
0: I think there are a lot of people who would agree with that. You know, it's, it does seem that, I, I don't know if it's really that things are, are significantly different from how they were in the past. Just me speculating here. I'm not Mm -hmm. sure that they're that different, but I do wonder if maybe we aren't, um, maybe we're cutting our losses sooner. Maybe we're not really taking the time to get to know someone deeply. Maybe. You know what I mean? I do
1: agree with you 110%. It's, uh, it's a false reality now, you know? And it, it's, 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 it's just all about the attraction. And then once the attraction wears off, what else do you have? Have you communicated? Have you gotten to know this person? Do you know about their past? And you know, some people don't wanna know about somebody's past because they can't handle it, which is understandable. But if you don't know where they've been, where they're at, how do you know where you're going? Right
0: or what they're bringing
1: to the table emotionally. Definitely, because I mean, some people are so afraid of therapy or going, you know, going to a psychologist, a psychiatrist, because I know from what I've seen in the black community and not saying and making it about race, but you know, I've heard other people I've talked to, you don't need to go see no therapist, why not? It's okay to talk to somebody that's not biased because you gotta understand, I can talk to my friend, and because they know of me or know me to a certain degree, they may side with me because that may be what they think they need to say at the time. That don't mm-hmm. mean they respecting the whole truth of what I've spoken to them, or are you telling half-truths to your friends, but you can't lie to yourself. Mm-hmm. When you look in the mirror, you still have to be okay with who you are.
0: Well, I think it's, I think it's a trope about therapy not being accepted in the black community. What I think though, cause I know how I feel about these things sometimes is I don't think that black folks have time to be <laughs> to be mentally unbalanced. <laughs> I, don't, I think you're, you're a living example. You work in how many jobs? Three. Do you have time to, <laughs> you know what I mean? Just from a real practical perspective. And then particularly with our history in this country I mean, for the longest time, we couldn't go to see anybody about anything. They wouldn't. Sh- they wouldn't see us. We couldn't have our own psych doctors. I mean, we barely had black medical doctors. You know what I mean? So the history, I think, informs a lot of that too. So I, I, I I'm always a little reluctant to say that we don't like therapy or we don't trust. Um, the concept of therapy. I think it's largely our history, just like the large the history of why most of us don't swim. It's true, most black people don't swim, but they also forget that black people weren't allowed in the public swimming pools. Black people weren't allowed on the beaches, you know? <laughs> so- It, it stems I, from a whole lot
1: of other right. situations just as well. Yeah, and,
0: there's and, a lot of history behind it,
1: but- Definitely.
0: I think what what we have done is we've often substituted going to therapy with going to someone in the church. You know what I mean? Yes. I think that's often been our fallback position because that's all we had for so long. So from that perspective, I think you're right. But like, even for me, when I did want to go to therapy, it was hard to find, even here in Atlanta, I felt like it was hard to find a black therapist that I felt like I would be able to connect with. Because they're educated from a certain paradigm. And and that's it. girl, preach to the choir. <laughs> I went to one
1: and he was awesome. Like I would never disrespect his um his analogy, his theory, none of that. Mm-hmm. It's just that he was pushing more of religion on me than anything. And right. I'm like, I want to get to the depth, the root of what's going on with me internally, because we forget that. PTSD is real in the black yes. community. Yes. And a lot of people don't touch base on that at all. Like I heard Saraji talking about it recently, but I'm like, I, I had told my therapist when I went to the first one here that I felt like I had PTSD because what I grew up with and grew up in the surroundings and in my house, you know, in the mm-hmm. household. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you do have it, but then we stem back to the the the, the theory out the theology of religion and I'm like okay mm-hmm. so you're not you're not giving me what I need right you know you te- telling me you see that I'm astute I'm very intelligent I'm very informed but we're not getting to my my issues and I want right. to really get rid of what I'm, I've been holding on for years or why I can't manifest the rest of my life because there's still something
0: holding me back in my past right and I think that tendency to I, I mm, I'm gonna say something I, I really don't want, I don't want people calling me, emailing me and, and texting me and all that, but I'm gonna say it. I think that the black church has done us a disservice because... Go ahead, I'm listening. I no, mean, nah, I'm, I'm trying to, you I'm to, trying use to your words carefully. my okay. words carefully because <laughs> I, I don't want to misspeak. But what, what I, I, I think the black church has done us a disservice. Um, you know, we just had this election here in Georgia and we had yet another preacher running for office. I do not think preachers need to be running for office. If you wanna be a politician, you need to just be a politician. The, the black church has not saved black America. Um, it, it hasn't. And I don't think that we've had w- significant worthwhile black leadership come out of the black church since the civil rights movement that's just my feeling
1: um, and i can understand that cuz i was born what 85 and mm-hmm. i know what i was taught and i know what i believe in myself and i can I, I can share your um your views on that because i have thought about a lot of things since you know Do- dr martin luther king and the last of the mohegans of the civil rights leaders and we, we don't have anybody else Stepping up to fulfill that prophecy for them is more well like, not through the okay. church,
0: no, not, not through, the through the church, church. Yeah, yeah, not
1: through the church. And my thing is, I'm not saying nobody's doing it in, in as a whole. I'm just saying right. as through the church, like you have spoken mm-hmm. about, because you know, I mean, it, I, I just feel like it's fear. Because at the end of the day, the people that were following those from the church, they dwindled off. They were still a part of NAACP. They still were doing, you know, private things, but you, you didn't know that they were still around.
0: Right, but even like, the, even like the traditional black organizations, in my opinion, NAACP and whatnot, are not really, in my, in my humble opinion, they are not doing significant work to help black people. I think they are much more interested in maintaining their status as gatekeepers. I know there are individual people who are trying to do stuff, but I have not seen any significant work come out of there that has really benefited us in forever. Me neither. Cause I was having a conversation with one of
1: my, uh, my enlightened friends that lives, um, in Texas and mm. to be in Texas as a, uh, <laughs> as a black person, depending on where you are, can be, can make you or break you. And we yeah. have intelligent, uh, and diverse conversations all the time about real world, Experiences at this point, and I'm like, this is making a mockery of things. Um, we, I don't want us to get too far off basis but I definitely agree with you when it comes to the church and not holding holding on to the beliefs and demising. But let's change the subject. Well,
0: <laughs> well, no, and I say, I, I, fortunately, this is the beauty of having my own show is I can talk about whatever I want to under the sun that my my guests are, are willing to talk with me about and I appreciate that. Um oh, definitely. So we can, but we can do more of this offline.
1: Uh, oh, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I mean, when you mentioned what you mentioned, I don't want to go into depth about it. We we stated our piece and I just want us to move forward from, and if we want to continue this conversation, we can do it off here. Yeah,
0: we will do that. But I do, th- I think it's important too, though, that we, I, I am going to leave it with this. I do think that Black America and I think we need to spend more time really thinking about who's got our best interests at heart right now. Um, even with the new president, I do not personally believe that we're going to benefit significantly from uh, having Biden or Kamala Harris in office. And coming out of California and learning more about her, I was not happy to have her as the vice president and um I guess it remains to be seen I hope that I am proven wrong I will say it right here on my show right now and I'll say it with
1: you because I said the same thing everything remains to be seen yep. and we can't go off of talk and people can I don't want to say this out loud but you know how they say you can meet a person they can talk you out your draws yeah I'm just using that as a as a basis because people say a lot of things but when it's time to show up yep they're not there
0: yeah or so we will what they see said
1: it was going to be definitely we will
0: see because here's the other thing and I, I I think you probably have seen what I've seen they haven't said they're going to do anything to help black people
1: <laughs> yeah and that was that was the biggest <laughs> conversation me and my friend and Dallas had mm-hmm. about so what are they going to do for us right what are, I mean, we have so much going on as far as the pandemic, as far as people losing their jobs, as far as people, them them telling them they were stopping the evictions. But what about all that back rent or whatever people exactly. owe at this point? What are you guys going to do to help the community out in that aspect to get people back on their feet? Yeah, you can create jobs. But what if these people? How are they going to clean themselves and be neat and clean to show up for these jobs? Right. What are exactly. we doing? We're just going to create more poverty, and you got all these three hundred and four hundred thousand dollar houses being built. But if people don't have the means to buy these things, how are we elevating their life and growing the people and keeping the United States a united situation?
0: Well, and related to the housing thing, I just read a report from a think tank in. Uh, well, I'm saying a nonprofit in California okay. saying that they anticipate that um, house unhoused people, I think is the term they use now, but the homelessness situation is going to increase like 68% oh, in no. California and nationwide potentially. And of that, Black Americans are 55% more likely to become homeless post pandemic. So Cause they, And what they did was they compared it to the recession of 2008. And they said, based on what happened with the recession in 2008, most of the people became homeless, not during the recession, but actually after the recession. And so we're not even through with this pandemic thing. And they we said don't. the numbers are likely to spike going into 2022 as far as homelessness is concerned. So I think it's, it's, these are just a lot of issues I think we need to talk about. And I do think this relates to the things you were talking about in your book and everything, because some of this division that we've been experiencing, like you were talking about before, it, a lot of it is communication-based. You yeah. know, if we can't, one of the goals of this show was to show people that we are more alike than we are different you hear different people's stories you hear people's challenges you hear their hopes their goals their their dreams for themselves for their kids you come to understand that other other people are the same as you are we all want the same things we want to be healthy we want to be happy we want to be successful we want our children to be healthy happy and successful nobody's out here wishing for anybody to do bad you know what I mean Everybody wants the same things. We all want to be happy. And that's where I think that we forget sometimes just how similar we are and how we all have the same goals. And that's a communication problem.
1: That definitely is a communication problem. But we also, but you know, we can't make an emotional thing, you know, we can't make it emotional. It's in tune to, not who's right, it's about what's right. That's right. number one. Then you got to have more people in tune with logic because that's when the emotions come in and you got to decipher the difference between logic and emotional base because like they say, you can't make decisions when you're angry. Right. So you got a lot of people that tend to make temporary decisions because they did it out of anger and not out of permanency to understand
0: well, where like- they're going with. I, I know a lot of those people are regretting now deciding they're going to go and break windows and, and run up on the Capitol <laughs> and then post oh, it on that was definitely some really rash decision. making. <laughs> was, I, I was either at work or at home.
1: <laughs> okay. I, I just, I, I just didn't understand why you were out there doing these things. I know you were outraged, but that wasn't going to change the in depth situation. It
0: wasn't going to change the outcome. Yeah. You just made a was, fool of yourself. That is, I just, I'm not going to lie. That was that, I was just mind blown when it started. I I had to sign off and say, listen, y'all, I got to go watch our capital being attacked right now. Because <laughs> 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 my mind was blown. It was like, you know, so I, I think there are a lot of people who made a lot of decisions that day that they are, uh, If they don't regret it yet, they will regret it down the line if the government does what it's supposed to do. And that's another discussion altogether. Um, But if they do what they're supposed to do with that. Keisha, this has been a wild and winding conversation. It has been absolutely delightful. Um, Tell the people about your book, where they can get your book, and how they can connect with you on social media, your website, what have you.
1: Okay, so my website is um, K- Keisha L. Williams Essentials at GoDaddySites.com. You can get some of my uh, criteria there. Also, um, Loving with Emotions, You Must Feel Everything is located on Amazon.com. It's a self published piece, so you can purchase it either through ebook, e reader, or you can get a paperback sample of the book. Also, I can be reached through social media on Facebook at Keisha Williams or my author page is uh, Keisha L. Williams, which is author Keisha L. Williams on Facebook for my um, business page. And um,
0: Can you spell that for them? Because you spell Keisha a little differently than I'm used to seeing it.
1: You are so right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my name is spelled K-E-S-H-I-A
1: obviously L and Williams with an S on the end.
0: Very cool. Keisha, thank you so much for being on Somewhere in the Middle with Michelle Burrard. Thank
1: you for having me, Michelle. I hope we can, we can arrange another meeting.
0: Definitely, <laughs> definitely. Gorgeous. And definitely when your next book comes out, I need you on the show again.
1: Definitely, and I'm looking forward to that.
0: Well, that's our show this month, guys. You can reach out to me online at urbanbookeditor.com or michelleberard.com. You can also find me on Facebook and Instagram as Urban Book Editor. Send me a note. I'd love to hear from you. Feel free to send in some topics you'd like us to cover on the show. Make sure you tune into the show on May 21st when my guest will be author Alan Black. You can find us monthly on Fridays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Mountain, 7 p.m. Central, and 8 p.m. Eastern Time at the, Somewhere in the Middle Podcast.com. and don't forget to tune in to julia black and me live on saturdays at 1:30 p.m pacific 4 30 p.m eastern for the shelter in place live stream at rebrand.ly slash shelter in place live stream let's continue the conversation you guys be good stay mindful and remain prayerful peace and blessings y'all